OHL hockey is back. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. Originating from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. Here are your hosts, Mike Farwell and Chris Pope. Mike, do you know why I'm really excited about this edition of the podcast? I don't think I've ever seen you excited in my life, so this makes me a little nervous. I know. Do tell. I'm a case of beer richer. What? Flint hit 10 wins. Do you How really? about that? For those of you just tuning in, my name is Chris Pope. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Chris Pope. His name is Mike Farwell. Follow him on Twitter at underscore or at Farwell underscore OHL. And you owe me a case of beer, sir. Okay. I am not going to go all prime ministerial on you here. And throw Maybe you're you, going to throw me under the bus. I'm not going to throw you under the bus a la Justin Trudeau and Jody Wilson-Raybould, okay? But, and you're right, Flint did get the 10 wins. Our over-under was set at 9.5. you got to admit, it, it worked out to be a pretty good number. They might get to 12, but yeah, great number. not a bad number for a couple of schleps that, you know, broadcast Kitchener Rangers games on 570 News and have a podcast. Thanks for listening, by the way. Sponsorship opportunities still available at Farwell underscore OHL on Twitter, at underscore Chris Pope on Twitter. Tweet us. Use the hashtag AskFNP. And, uh, you know, if you want to sponsor something, you can. You really nailed our uh, Twitter handles better than I did. I was a marble mouth for that, eh? <laughs> I don't remember. Holy cow. <laughs> Must be Wednesday. We're doing it on a Wednesday, not a Thursday this week, because what's tomorrow? Oh, tomorrow. You, this got something, Thursday, you got something planned? I got nothing planned, man. <laughs> you I are gotta, so euchred. I got to get my act together. Come anyway, on. You don't even have rezos? Oh, I don't go out on Valentine's. I no? Co- I'm cooking. Are you? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a first day? Uh, once a year. Yeah. 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 Every she, February 14th. Has she, has she laid out a <laughs> recipe for you, too? No, no. I just take care of it all. Yeah. Yeah. What you mean by that is you order in from McCabe's. No, no. I swear. <laughs> I actually I actually do it. Going to do a little chicken curry this week. Oh, good. This year. Yeah. All right. I try to mix it up a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> the reason I won't throw you under the bus, you're right. Uh, I owe you a case of beer because Flint got to 10 wins and you did take the over. But, and I'll, I'll happily pay up now or we wait until the end of the season when you know as well as I do, there is a strong possibility that this is going to be a wash. And I won't even tell I, the, the way I'm going to leave you in front of the bus without putting it in gear is I will not speak of what the wager was, but it's one of the dumber things you've said. You deserve to lose a case yep. of beer for it. And by the end of this season, I suspect you will have lost that case of beer. So we will have balanced out the cases. Well, I, I have no problem saying. I said at one point during last year that a certain player on the Kitchener Rangers would not hit a certain goal total in his Ontario Hockey League career, and he's five goals away from that. I am going to owe you a case of beer. Yeah, even, <laughs> even if not this year, but probably this year. Probably this year. 15 games to go, five goals to get. Yeah. Anyway. Well, in my defense, he has smashed career highs across the board this year so there is no defending the bold and foolish statement you made correct. last year was yeah. it last year or was it the first year i think it was the first year his rookie no season. it was last year it was no because i don't think i was doing the broadcast with you i think i was on the tv side yeah that's what i'm saying it was last year you said it last year we were on the road or we were in the midst of we were talking and oh no i'm saying i what i did i wasn't uh doing the broadcast with you full time i think i was on the tv side filling in for Oh, uh, Kitchener Rangers legend Mike Torquia. <laughs> well, it might have. I think I thought it was last year. Either way, the, the the statement that this player would never score twenty five in his junior career was just was just silly. 
Hey, speaking of Kitchener Rangers legend Mike Torquia. Yeah, your former broadcast partner. Love the guy to death. Kind of miss him. Obviously. No offense. Yeah, that's fair. But he surprised us one night at a Ranger game. And of course, when Torch shows up, you open the mics. I uh, keep myself busy still with the young guys. Uh, so uh, you get an 18-year-old now, and then you get another 10-year-old that's coming through. So you get to do it all over again. So having lots of fun uh, working with the young guys again. Probably not uh, spending much time around a rink, eh? With those. Oh no, never. I've never <laughs> been. I haven't been in a rink since. Uh, I don't know. This is my third one of the day, and it's only uh, four in the afternoon. So yeah, I've been in a few. A few. That is for sure. Certainly looked like Luke Richardson was in the zone during that power play. From your from your experience playing, when you make a bunch of saves like that and you get the ovation, what does it do to your confidence? Uh, it's huge for your confidence, but you know it's one of those things that you know you look at it and you make a huge save at one end, and all of a sudden a minute later they come down and score at the other end. It's always that momentum seems to pick up the guys on the bench, especially on a five-on-three. He made a great save coming cross-crease, got an arm on it, and then he made another save to cover up, and it basically killed that penalty off. And, you know, those are the big saves you need in a game like this, especially in a 2-1 game. Now all of a sudden it's a 3-1 game because of those saves. You mentioned the sloppiness of the first period. You should have seen Friday night. Uh, <laughs> I watched a bit of that on TV. Uh, you know what? It, it, it's one of those things I think a, a lot of people's expectations of this Rangers team got really high when they started off so yeah. well at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because I used to argue with guys at work, and I go, guys, they're young. Give it time. Give it yeah. time. Well, they should make some moves. They should bring in this. I'm like, boys, relax. This isn't a team that's going to make a run for it. You know, it could be a good team, but, you know, they're going to have to really gel early on. And and it's taken time, but I think it's a team that's getting better. You know, they've had some, you know, for me, there's been not surprises, but guys that have really stepped up and played well. Uh, uh, I really enjoy watching Dominic Sobrango play out there. He's one of my favorites out he's there. A stud. He, he's one of those guys. Uh, you know, and, and then you have other guys that, uh, you know, who you may have expected a little more, the Vakoy of it. You know, he, he has moments where you see it, and then there's other moments where he's just taken too many chances for me, and I think he's got to clean up his game a little bit. But you know what? They got Jay McKee there, and Jay's going to do a good job with them, and, and, and they got a great group of coaching coaches behind the bench. So, you know, they're going to get better as it goes on, and, this is a young team. People say, team seem to forget that very very quickly when you lose a few in a row. Yeah, there re- it is a rebuild. You can call it that after last year. You were part of obviously the big Memorial Cup in '90, but the te- you've been on teams where you've went through that type of thing. We were before, rebuilt the next right? year. Exactly. We had to rebuild yeah, the next had year. To. So w- what's it like the, in the dressing room when you know you're going through a rebuild? Uh, you know what you. Uh, it depends it depends on the personality. Uh, if you're if you're a competitor, most of these guys are. You're going to want to prove everyone wrong. Like that's the main thing. You're going to want to go out there and show them, hey, you know what? Yeah, we're rebuilding, but you know what? We're not bad. So we, we want to battle and we want to compete. But uh, I think people take a rebuild and uh, they look at it the wrong way. They they seem to think you got to tear everything apart and sell everyone. Well, sometimes you don't have any pieces to sell because. You know, you know, if you look at it, the guys that maybe are valuable to the Rangers are guys you want to keep for next year too. Yeah. So it's tough to really sell it. I think a lot of people had these expectations. Let's let's trade these guys away and get a whole bunch of picks. Well, 
<laughs> you have to have something to trade away sometimes to get the picks. Torch, what's it like coming back here? Oh, it's always great. Uh, uh, I got my, uh, we got our Adam hockey team here, and we're walking through the lobby trying to get to the seats. And I had probably like 30, 40 people stop and say hello. Yeah, weird. And, and they're like, do you know everyone in here? And they're like these 10-year-olds. And, and then they're looking at my name across the rafters yeah. there. They go, why is your name up there? <laughs> I said, well, long before you guys were ever born, I used to be pretty important. I used to be pretty important. Not anymore, though. Well, hey, it's not just here. You can't go walk through any hockey right now. There's 30 or 40 people coming up and talking to you. Torch, thanks a lot, buddy. It's always a pleasure. Uh, great seeing you, and happy birthday, Popper. Thanks, and, uh, buddy. Enjoy the time with Farwell. I know it's tough to put up with him sometimes. It, you know better than most. See, everyone? I'm not lying. Now, there is, if these two bets do end up being a wash, which I think you know in your heart of hearts they will be, Yep. there is that extra one on the line. I may have spoken boldly myself. I don't think quite as foolishly as you, but I did give you the field versus the London Knights. I said the London Knights will win the Western Conference, and I gave you the field for a case of beer. I will happily take the field in just about any bet possible yeah, I don't for know, a case of beer. don't know what I was thinking, but anyway. I don't know why either. Knights going to night. Some, there's some good teams in that Western Conference. <laughs> I think the only, no, I think I still would take the field against Golden State. I think I probably would. Maybe. Anyway. It's, right. it's a bet that uh, I'm willing to take. Speaking of the London Knights, uh, two players suspended in the past week. One of them, Will Lahead, who said something he ought not to have said versus Saginaw while the Knights were on a road trip, played at home on a Friday, into Saginaw, into the Sioux. Lost both those games and Sag in the Sioux, too. But something happened in, in Saginaw. Gets a five-game suspension for that utterance of a slur. And curiously, actually it's not curious at all because we've been harping on the league for this for quite (laughs) some time. Only when the Ontario Hockey League posted to its website the Will LaHead suspension, did it post to its website the Cole Timken suspension, which happened precisely one week earlier than the Will LaHead suspension because the Cole Timken suspension happened when the Rangers were playing the Knights at Bud Gardens and Timken was cross-checked, did not get a call, and as he got up from the ice, he threw his stick. We could argue or debate intent, but the stick hit the referee in the shins. For that, he got three games. He got another two tacked on for the verbal altercation with said referee when he was escorted to the penalty box and then out of that game with a misconduct, so a total of five for Timken. But the league sat on that for... Nine, ten days before posting it, and it just doesn't make any sense. I don't even think you can debate the intent. Whether he meant to hit him, maybe, but he was definitely throwing it towards him to send a message. And a suspension, rightfully so, an automatic three games. But why did it come down so late? That was February 2nd, the game. It comes down seven days later? I don't understand why this was more than that. Because it didn't come out until... Tuesday yeah. the twelfth. Yeah. So it's ten days later. I, I don't. I, I, I know I've said this before. I just it boggles my mind. I said it on the broadcast uh, of the Rangers game this past week that the OHL for some reason seems to be stuck in the early nineties. There is this thing called the World Wide Web, and 
on this World Wide Web. It's everywhere. It's worldwide. There's a website, and it's even on your phone. It's called Twitter. It's where a lot of news happens, actually. It's where a lot of news is broken nowadays. Obviously, as well on 570 News, but on Twitter as well. The OHL has over has 96,500 followers. They send out a tweet. 96,500 people see it. Why can they not send a tweet about their suspensions? How hard is that? I don't understand. Send a tweet. Fans know. Players know. Family knows. Media knows. Other OHL teams know. And I'm sure they have a couple NHL teams following them. I don't understand why they're so secretive about these suspensions. Even on their media page where they post the suspensions, they have five headings. Team, player, date of game, discipline, eligible to return. They don't even tell you why. It's, it's asinine to me. It really is. And it's, it's irresponsible even for this league to not want more people talking about it. I know, yes, players get suspended all the time. It's not a big negative thing like, oh my goodness. They just don't want us ridiculing them for the amount of games that are given to certain players like we do other leagues. That's the only thing I can come to. But guess what? We're going to ridicule you anyway because most people see what happens. And then we're going to ridicule you for the way that you handled it because you handled it so poorly. Get ahead of it. Say, this is why the player was suspended. This is what happened. Boom. A simple tweet. Cole Timken suspended five games for incident February 2nd and then post a video or just say incident February 2nd for throwing stick. Boom, Bob's your uncle. Everything's done. But no, let's just keep it secretive so 96,500 people don't know what's going on in your league. And you listed a host of stakeholders who would have a stake in this, right up to NHL teams that may have the rights to that player and may be sending a scout to check in only to arrive at whatever arena to find out the player wasn't there. But the the number one stakeholder in all of this that the league should be concerned with is the fans. Hands down, bar none, top priority should be the maintenance and the nurturing of that relationship with the 96,500 fans if every Twitter follower is a fan, and one would assume that's the case. Why would you follow the OHL's Twitter if you were not a fan of that league? I have a theory, and you kind of touched on it, and my theory is that the Ontario Hockey League just doesn't like to talk about negative things. And that's understandable. Nobody likes to talk about the bad stuff, but this is not the end of the world as we know it. Like you said, players get suspended. It happens all the time in this league, in the National Hockey League, in the National Football League, in high school football, in university, rugby. You take your pick. It happens everywhere. And Crisis Management 101 says simply, meet the crisis head on. In other words, be ahead of it. Cole Timken throws his stick in the midst of a game. It hits a referee. By the end of that game, or certainly by the next morning, everybody involved in that league should know what happened and why the player has been suspended. They just don't want to talk about the negative stuff. That's my theory. I don't even care about that. Like, about the the quick turnaround. I understand that, you know, they don't have a lot of staff, and they're not... I, I don't expect them to watch every single game, every single night, and know whenever there's an incident. But... When they get those game sheets, and it shows game misconduct, so the next morning they're going to go in and look at it. And I know they have, they usually hand down the suspension before the team plays their next game. I'm okay with that. So I'm willing to say, give me the suspension, 
the tweet. That's all I'm asking for, a tweet. Send out the tweet the day before the team plays again. If they play the next day, send it out before the game. Because I know they play back-to-back games. So send it out before the game. That's all I'm asking. And I said on the broadcast, you don't even need to send the tweet that I said previously. Just say, Cole Timken's suspension. Put a link to your website. People will click that link. Then it'll give you another, as they say, click on your website. And you can sell to advertisers that you have more people coming to your website. And there goes your bottom line. You're welcome, OHL. The other thing that this does negatively, so we can add to the negativity in all of it, is Cole Timken did not make that road trip where his teammate Will Lehead was suspended. Did not make that road trip with the London Knights. So he did not play that home game on the Friday. He didn't travel to Saginaw and the Sioux because the team must have known something. So that now also leaves fans asking themselves, well, is there some sort of secret bat phone that goes straight from Budweiser Gardens to OHL head offices? You pick up the phone. Oh, hi, Mr. Hunter. It's Mr. Branch and or Mr. Baker. And here is the suspension that's been handed down. And I'm not saying that just because it's London. That could be any team. Take your pick. But the team clearly knew that their player was unavailable to be in the lineup. Why doesn't that information get relayed to the fans and all of the other stakeholders that you mentioned? Well, and it's not like we haven't seen this year where a player travels with the team to their next game and finds out on the bus, getting off the bus by his head coach, hey, you've been suspended. Why? Where was the heads up on that one? Well, as you said earlier, uh, it had happened the night prior. This was the next late afternoon, but I don't disagree. And quite frankly, I think in this day and age, with electronic information and the speed with which it moves, we can do a better job. The Cole Timken thing is pretty cut and dried. The rule book states it's a minimum three games. It's not that hard to look at. I'm sorry if you had to get awakened on a Saturday night or called away from something else. This just so happens to be your job. The Ontario Hockey League, I'll stress again, does so many things so well. So I'm a good. big fan of this league. So good. It's a great machine. It really is. This is something it really needs to do better. I'm, I'm with you. I always say David Branch might be the best commissioner in sport. <laughs> might be the best commissioner in sport. But this is one area they really need to pick up their socks. And I know they were probably looking at, as you said, that came with a three-game suspension. He got two for something he said to the referee off the ice. So I'm sure they were trying to get a hold of the referee, talk to him, get both sides of the story. You get both sides. You talk to Cole. You talk to the referee. You come up with... How many games you want to suspend them for? It's not rocket science. I don't understand where the big issue is here. I, again, the only thing I can come back to, and I agree with you, I, I think Mr. Branch is one of the best in the business when it comes to commissioners of sports leagues. But it keeps coming back to me that there is just uh, a, a great reluctance to talk about things that are negative. They just want to tell you about the academic players of the month and the top performers and the weekly top 10 rankings. That's all the league wants to do. Well, and they're not the only ones. As you pull up your phone and pull up an email here, there was a report of a fight at a AAA midget game, draft-eligible players in the Ontario Hockey League, in playdowns between the Waterloo Wolves and their opponent. There are reports that a parent came down onto the bench to fight one of the coaches. In fact, it's not just reports. There's a photo that shows a parent down behind the bench in an altercation with the coach and I, it's an amazing photo. If you haven't seen it, go to Twitter, 
at underscore Chris Pope or at Farwell underscore OHL. The one player is literally turned around facing two adults fighting two feet away from him behind him. It's a disgrace. But you would think that the alliance, the one who uh, governs that, that hockey game, would come out and get ahead of it. But no, they say they want it to be an internal matter and they'll deal with it internally. It's not internal. There's a picture in the <laughs> Ottawa Sun, and it's all over social media. Sorry, the lid is off. It is now very much external uh, Ontario Hockey Alliance. But, yeah, again, going back to Crisis Management 101, meet it head on. I know it's not comfortable. It feels a little icky when you're in the midst of it. But you own it. You stay in front of it. And then it's over. Then you've, we've, we all move on from it. Instead, Tony Martindale, God bless him the executive director of Alliance Hockey, uh, says, I'd be happy to issue the statement and talk about the league and the positive stories involved with the league. This is the email that we received from him. So, in other words, I'll give you a prepared statement written that you can refer to, and then I'm happy to talk to you about the good news that's happening in Alliance Hockey. That's great, Tony, but that's not what we're asking about right now. And sorry, this is not good news. Uh, The parent of a player got into a fight with his son's coach. It's bizarre and yes it's a black eye pun intended for the game really it just so happened to happen within alliance hockey well done on the pun big fan um i i don't understand how they don't get ahead of it and just call it what it is yes we had a parent come behind the bench and get in an altercation with a coach we have bylaws that say if you do that you will be suspended from all alliance hockey activities we have suspended said parent from all alliance hockey activities period End of discussion, right? And that's essentially what the statement says. But you just want to hear Tony's voice on this. You want to have him talking to us on this podcast. And then maybe, you know, once we move past this issue, hey, how are the playdowns going? Exactly. What's life like, right? But the statement from Alliance Hockey reads as follows. The appropriate measures have been taken internally as it relates to our code of conduct and externally with the appropriate authorities, as I understand No charges are being laid in this. The parent in question has been suspended from all Waterloo and Alliance hockey team activities, home and away. Our responsibility at this time is with the team and the participants of the team and league in providing a safe, distraction-free environment. There is one central contact for this matter. I am it, says Tony Martindale. Leave me alone. Don't, yeah, leave me alone and don't try to push this issue any further. And... I know this sounds a little self-serving. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But if you tell a media member, don't push this matter any further, guess what we do? We talk about it on our podcast, and we push the matter. That's what we do. Get ahead of it. Make Make a statement. Don't give a statement. I don't understand how people don't respect the mediums. If it's a television station, go on video. If it's a radio, go on tape. If it's a newspaper, sure, issue your statement but I don't know how you're not out there in front of all this and just discussing what happened. It's, he, he's not at fault. The league, the alliance isn't at fault. They have everything in place for that not to happen. It is one man's decision that is at fault. I understand you don't want to give his name. Sure, that's fine. But at least talk about the situation and what you're doing to, uh, to discipline said person, how you're being in contact with the team, with the, with the alliance, everyone, with the coaching staff, that poor coach, whoever it was, sitting there trying to coach a hockey game, and all of a sudden he's got a right hook at his noggin because some kid's benched. It's not fair. And 
we might as well get into the PR consulting business, I think, if, oh. if the podcasting thing doesn't really work out. The podcasting thing's working out, right? <laughs> We're still expecting or expecting or uh, accepting sponsors. But you you make such a great point in all of this. It's an, actually an opportunity. Like nobody is blaming Alliance Hockey. Nobody is saying my kid will never play in the Alliance again. It's just like you said, it happened at a game. It, it's the playdowns. Things get heated. People let their emotions boil over. There's a reason. There's a reason that there is a code of conduct for parents and spectators at the lowest levels of minor hockey because, sadly, in this day and age, this is an issue. But what an opportunity it would have been, and I'm putting it in the past tense because I think he's already missed the opportunity. I'm sorry, Tony. But what an opportunity it would have been for Tony Martindale, the executive director of Alliance Hockey, to address the situation that happened head-on, then point out the mechanisms that are in place to suspend this particular parent from all activities, home and away, and acknowledge that these protections and safeguards are already in place. In fact, it comes out making your league look that much better because you've thought about this. You're prepared for this. You've got a response to all of this. Instead, you get a statement. Don't talk about this story. It's internal. <laughs> it's internal. No, it's Psst. not. <laughs> did, you, did you see the picture in the Ottawa Sun? Yeah. Did you see the Ottawa Sun article? Great article. Well done. Yeah, really well done. And it draws attention to something. And uh, like... I don't even, it happened at Rim Park. So like the league, like some people would be saying, oh, how'd the parent get down there? Benches are easily accessible. It's Rim Park. And if, if a parent's that heated, he's going to find a way to get on that bench and go after someone. And I think it begs the question, as much as I hate to say it, because I don't want to take one incident and say, okay, we have to change everything. But that's their only fear. You, right. Do you add a no. layer of security? No, you don't. Okay. No, you don't. We're all grown adults. Learn how to handle yourself. Right. And, and again, to go back to what happened properly in all of this, the Alliance has this in its policies. Here's the code of conduct. If you breach this code of conduct, here's the consequence. This guy is not going to be a problem anymore, is he? The Alliance has done nothing wrong and done everything right, except for talking about it. When you don't talk about it, it makes people think, why aren't they talking about it? Just talk about it. Hey, it happened. You're not the first to, for it to happen to. You had a plan in place. You you executed that plan. The parent won't be at any more games. Wow, you handled that pretty well. So I'm starting to ask myself this, Popper. Is this an issue that runs rampant through hockey for whatever reason? And we're so close to it, maybe we don't know if it runs rampant through football and basketball and soccer or whatever other sport. But we've got the Ontario Hockey League that doesn't seem too keen on sharing negative news understandable but a failure we've got alliance hockey saying it's an internal matter when it's very much an external matter we've all seen it we all know about it we're all talking about it except the actual organization and then you've got hockey canada and how bad a year has it been for hockey canada and by year i mean season because it really has there's been a whole big dust up and i want to say this again i want to stress this again there's been a whole big dust up over quote unquote outlaw leagues, these leagues that are unsanctioned, where if a six-year-old hockey player is signed up for his or her minor hockey association, and we saw this rear its head in Hespler, right here in our community in the fine city of Cambridge, six-year-old kids playing for the Hespler Minor Hockey Association started playing for another 
well, they were actually getting some training at another facility, but Hockey Canada deemed it to be an outlaw, unsanctioned league and said to the kids and their parents, uh, if your kid is playing over there, they can't play over here under our umbrella. This goes back. This goes back to 2009. If you do any love, it doesn't take a lot of Googling to get to the very beginnings of all of this. The challenges that were issued uh, for competitive, uh, anti-competitive practices to Hockey Canada. as far And they changed some language way back there because I think the anti-competition challenge came in 2008. The language has changed by 2009. But you can document every few years this rears its head again. And here we are in 2018-19. It's out there. And after the mess with unsanctioned teams in Hespler, now we've got a rift in special hockey. Of all things, hockey that is designed to let athletes that might not otherwise be able to play the game to play the game. Excluding people from playing inclusive hockey. That makes sense, right? Makes perfect sense. I love the way you put it. (laughs) Let's exclude people from playing inclusive hockey. Yeah. Like, with all due respect to the Woolwich Sunrays, to the Kitchener Ice Pirates, to the Cambridge Ice Hounds, and everyone in between, and everyone involved in special needs hockey and inclusive hockey, they're not trying to make the NHL. They're not trying to make a living playing hockey. They're out there having fun. They're enjoying themselves. I've had a great opportunity to be at ice level for the Ice Hounds and Ice Pirates playing during intermissions with the Kitchener Rangers, playing against the Kitchener Rangers. And I've had a front row experience with the Woolwich Sunrays and everything that goes into why that team was created in honor of Ray Dietrich, who passed away. And I've gotten to do some announcing for those kids and those people. All they want to do is be out on the ice. They don't care about anything else. They want to be part of a team. They want to have friends out there. That's all it is. And it is such an outstanding thing people in our community and other communities are doing for those people. And it gets tarnished by red tape. It gets tarnished by money. It all comes down to money. How's Hockey Canada making money? How are we making money off special needs hockey? Look at yourself in the mirror. Come on. How are we not making it the easiest thing in the world for people to play our game, especially when it comes to getting teams together to play a tournament? That's, that's all, like that was the highlight of growing up for me, going to tournaments with a hockey team, staying in a hotel with my friends and family, playing mini sticks in the hallway, playing four games in four hours, not taking your skates off all day. And that's all these kids want to do. And yet we have red tape saying they can't play each other. If you're not up to speed on the story, and I want to point out along those lines, the city of Kitchener hosted Special Hockey International, a massive tournament, uh, several years ago for all of these teams. But I guess what has happened now is the old SHI, Special Hockey International, as an umbrella organization, uh, has allowed some entities to kind of go their own way. So here in Canada, what we have ended up with is CNSH, Canadian National Special Hockey, and CAHA, Canadian Adaptive Hockey Alliance. And adaptive being the key word here because the CAHA allows players to use assisted devices and equipment. There's a thing called a K-trainer that's a pretty big deal in the center of all of this. And if you've been following the story or you heard about what the 
Ottawa Senators did for the Capital City Condors special needs hockey team. They had some Condors players on the ice with them before an NHL game out there on the ice in their K trainers. And guess what? Everybody was fine. These devices let the kids stand up on the ice because they have special needs. And to imagine that there is some problem within special hockey where kids that need devices that help them stand up on the ice are not allowed to participate against teams that don't need special equipment to help them stand up on the ice. It's really bizarre. And Hockey Canada, and in particular in this case, the Ontario Hockey Federation, is crying misunderstanding in all of this. Uh, but it's it's really getting hard to get to the bottom of it all. But what we know for sure is that when there's a friendship tournament in Kitchener, the weekend that we're recording this podcast, the Capital City Condors are not able to come and participate in it. And they have in the past. We're recording this on a Wednesday. I just want to say I'm really hoping that by the time this podcast is released on Friday, someone comes to their senses. So I'm hoping that that statement doesn't ring true and the Condors are able to come. I hope you're right, because you said it a moment ago. I don't know how much money or where the money involved in this might be, but the biggest part about it is we're getting in each other's way. Hockey Canada is flexing its muscle here. It's aligned with Canadian National Special Hockey, and the CAHA, the Adaptive Hockey Alliance, now is unsanctioned. It's an outlaw special needs hockey league. Please, can we stop for a second Get out of our own way and think about the athletes that just want to be on the ice the same way they've been on the ice for more than a decade. This is the crazy part to me. They've all been getting along, playing (laughs) these games for years, and all of a sudden, one gets sanctioned by Hockey Canada, one doesn't, and it's almost like, well, you, you better come over here to this side, but your assisted devices might not be, I don't get it, just... Think of the athletes. Please think of the athletes. That's all. If, if we think of the athletes, this problem solved. All right, so we've said our piece on the whole thing, but somebody who's very close to the situation is the head coach of the Cambridge Icehounds, Cam Lindwood, and he joined you on your show to talk about this very thing. As, as I understand it, I, this goes back uh, to a decision in 2018 when... when there was the formation of the Canadian Adapted Hockey Alliance, which goes alongside uh, Canadian special needs hockey. So these are two different governing bodies within special needs hockey? Yeah, so the Canadian National Special Hockey is the, uh, the governing body that has the, uh, the partnership arrangement with Hockey Canada. And they're the ones who have uh, taken some positions on um, apparatus on ice. Um, the Ice Hounds, the Condors, and a few other organizations in Ontario belong to Canadian, the Canadian Adapted Hockey Alliance. And we also have a position on those, those same devices, but our positions differ. Um, where Canadian National Special Hockey has some opinions on when those devices should and shouldn't be used in special hockey, uh, Canadian Adapted Hockey Alliance has the position that they should be used all the time, and, and those who use them should not be excluded. So is this really dividing players involved in special needs hockey, Cam, between those with intellectual disabilities and those with physical disabilities almost creating two different special needs hockey leagues almost i mean we're in a position where um, the majority of the special hockey teams out there 
truly believe that uh, any child with a, a physical or cognitive disability or both um, should still play the game. Um, a lot of these teams have, have a focus that um, if a player is able to uh, support themselves upright off the ice and uh, they want to play the traditional game and, and not, not getting into the world of sledge and things like that because there are other forms of hockey out there, but to play the traditional game, then the teams really should adapt the game to fit those players. And, and that's, that's our belief, that's the belief of the Condors, that if there's an assistive device that will help support that player play the game in its traditional form, and these devices are used across North America. There are teams in, in the States that use these devices as well, um, quite regularly, where it just helps the player play the game. Do you have any players on your team, the Cambridge Icehounds, Cam, using assisted devices? We, we do not. We have them use sliders in our Learn Escape program, um, but we, we do not have a player with a, that uses a, a K-Trainer, which is the device in question. Um, but we also want to be in a position where we're never... As a, as a board, as a leadership, forced to turn those players away. If one approached us who, who would benefit from using one of those devices, we also don't want to be in a position where we aren't allowed or we aren't able to play games against teams who do use those devices. Right. And, and have you in the past played against teams who do use, use those devices? Absolutely. Even uh, we've played at least one or two games this year, and it's, it, they're some of the best games because you see a player who would otherwise not have the opportunity to play in a, in a hockey environment out there with their peers. So how has this sanctioning issue affected the Cambridge Icehounds this season? Uh, because we stood up on principle behind this, this whole premise of, of assistive devices and, and beliefs and inclusion, um, we have not aligned with the Canadian National Special, Ho- Special Hockey. And as a result, the, uh, the Canadian National Special Hockey, to our understanding, has been given the directive um, from the Ontario Hockey Federation that uh, they are not to play teams that are not affiliated with CNSH. So that would be us. I've I've been led to believe from the Ontario Hockey Federation that this comes down to insurance and concerns over liability. Is that an accurate uh, assessment? It, it, the, the the interesting part in that statement is that um, we have direct correspondence from from the OHF stating this is not an insurance issue; it's a sanctioning issue. Um, the Cambridge Ice Hounds, Capital City Condors, we're all insured by um, another insurance agent that provides us with like insurance or, for, for all intents and purposes, the same level of insurance, $5 million liability and all of those things that come along with insuring hockey players are safe and insured on the ice. So using their own words, they've indicated it's not an insurance issue. If it comes down then to a sanctioning issue, Cam, it's, it sounds to me remarkably similar to other stories that we've heard around youth and minor hockey this hockey season where there are these quote-unquote outlaw leagues that somehow are not under the purview of Hockey Canada and Hockey Canada tries to clamp down on them. So uh, in your position uh, as, as somebody uh, with the CAHA, uh, adaptive hockey. Uh, do you feel as though you're being treated as an outlaw league by Hockey Canada? Uh, 
the the best I can say is that uh, in games we've played for 12 years against teams we've played for 12 years, uh, we're not being allowed to play those games anymore because of sanctions brought down by by those parent organizations. And I I can't help but feel denied because of that because that's really the only really the only thing that's changed in the game is is who is sitting at the top of these organizations now. Um, the organizations themselves below them, the teams we play haven't changed. The way they play hockey hasn't changed. The the passion they have for hockey and the belief they have in special hockey hasn't changed. How did these two different organizations come to be formed as opposed to you know things remaining the way they had been up until 2018? Um uh, that's that's really an interesting question. Uh, many of the many of the hockey teams that existed in in Canada and in North America and actually in the, even in the United Kingdom um, played under the the banner of Special Hockey International. Um, it got to a point uh, where the um, Special Hockey International had applied to Hockey Canada for partnership status. My understanding is that partnership status was declined and the focus shifted to. Um, an organization that fell out of Special Hockey International, which was the Canadian National Special Hockey Alliance, or sorry, sorry, Canadian National Special Hockey. And what that did was essentially, that, that's where this all started with the, the beliefs and inclusion and the beliefs and statements around assistive devices. And Kaha was essentially formed to, to counter that, to, to provide teams who, who wanted to maintain an option of of the use of assisted devices uh, to be able to do so how has this impacted your players it hasn't and that's the uh, that's the the thing that you'll hear from special hockey teams that are dealing with this across the province we are doing everything we absolutely can in our power to prevent this from impacting our players directly we are scheduling community games where we can um, we are reaching out to our local community partners be it police and fire um, just to continue to give these players a chance to, to play hockey, to play the game they love, because that's really all they want, that's all we want, is to, to maintain hockey going on on the ice. Is there any opportunity, camp for Canadian Adapted Hockey Alliance and Canadian uh, National Special Hockey to come together in this? I'll be the first at the table if there is. It's, <laughs> I mean, it, and that's, that's really where the motivation lies. It, it's not about history, it's not about anything because i mean from my perspective I, I don't see that history i see players being denied the opportunity to play our game and i think at the end of the day if if there there are some great common grounds that are out there um we all believe in the same essentially the same type of hockey that exists out there it really does come down to a situation where there are different perspectives on what inclusion means and what the apparatus means or what the apparatuses are and so if we can if we can bridge that gap if we can if we can find ways to to include all players then then I'll be at that table right away I want to get your take what did you think of what cam had to say to you well I think cam and I've I know cam personally and have for a mm-hmm. lot of years I, I think his heart is in the right place all he wants to do is allow things to remain the way they have been he wants all of these athletes to have the opportunity to be on the ice. And I, I I sensed at times he was choosing his words really carefully so as not to get himself in yeah, trouble. To not, right. To not paint the uh, ice hounds with a bad brush. But you're right. He, he has got to be almost at his wit's end over this because there's no control. He's got no control over it. All of a sudden, things changed. Yeah. I, I get his frustration. And I also get your frustration when you talked with Phil McKee, the executive director 
of the Ontario Hockey Federation. Why the statement from the Ontario Hockey Federation? Why did you feel it was necessary to step into this and, and share uh, the perspective that you have? I think first, uh, you know, there was a case that occurred up in uh, uh, Ottawa on CTV News, and CTV News indicated, you know, contacted us and had a no response from us, and that was incorrect. They contacted the wrong office that wasn't our office and portrayed that as our office. And so as part of that, we wanted to make sure the correct story was out there the correct information was out there and that, uh, you know, what we have done with special hockey and trying to make it inclusive and trying to bring the groups in and work collectively with the groups to make sure that the, the game for uh, the special needs players and their families is uh, focused on fun and on uh, the, you know, safe uh, experience that we expect out of all of our programs. So, Phil, with regard to these two different uh, entities uh, in special hockey now, for years, because we've had it, this special hockey right in our community with the Cambridge Ice Hounds and the Kitchener Ice Pirates, and for years and years they've been playing against one another, but now they no longer can. What happened? About 18 months ago, uh, the internal workings of uh, special hockey international, which uh, all these groups were part of, uh, had a... Uh, a divide or a rift between them and what occurred is that uh, uh, three board members that were part of uh, the Ottawa City Condors and uh, one of our Cambridge groups were removed from the board of SHI. At that time that group went and created another organization called CAHA uh, and the group that maintained which was about 80% of the teams uh, formed CNSH uh, which was Canadian National Special Hockey and that was to make application to Hockey Canada to be a partner with Hockey Canada, and both groups did that. And Hockey Canada made a decision to work with the CNSH group in their partner application, uh, with them having the majority of the, of the teams. And the, the secondary aspect is that we saw this occur in the United States, and it caused problems in the United States when ASHA and USA Hockey's special hockey programs divided, uh, and those teams weren't allowed to play against each other and work through it. The groups that are involved here had full knowledge and full awareness of what occurred in the USA, and still they couldn't uh, mend the fences uh, over the past 18 months. And our job is to work with them to try to mend these fences and bring all the special hockey groups back together to uh, be operating the best interest of the players and the families on a go-forward basis. Why do these fences need to be mended, Phil? What is the key issue between CAHA and CNSH? I mean, there's uh, a question that uh, raises with regards to assistive devices uh, in games, in specific in gameplay, not on the ice and practices and, and going through it. That, uh, you know, was a, a core aspect of what uh, special hockey uh, debate is over. You know, what was special hockey originally designed for? If you go back to 1970, uh, when it was introduced, uh, up to 1996, when they had a, a the terminology of, developmentally the disabled uh, as their uh, uh, definition for special hockey. And, you know, that uh, terminology today uh, relates to intellectually uh, disabled. And, and so they're within the organizations of special hockey, they're challenging themselves on, you know, what is special hockey really targeted to, you know, with the change of society, the change of uh, and everything that applies to that, uh, they have to go back and draw more and determine as a collective group, the knowledge in the game, uh, knowledge in that specific portion of the game, special hockey, of what is 
the purpose of special hockey, who's it targeted at, and what are they uh, trying to achieve as an organization. What does the Ontario Hockey Federation believe special hockey should be about? The Ontario Hockey uh, Federation has never put a position out on specifically uh, with uh, regards to what special hockey is directed at. Um, you know, we've worked with the organizations to try to facilitate uh, and ensure that uh, those organizations could get uh, gameplay uh, in, could get tournaments in, and could operate uh, collectively as a group. And so, you know, we will work with them to give them uh, some governance and some process to walk through those uh, difficult discussions on what, uh, you know, special hockey is. But it's really up to special hockey. They're a separate organization uh, from us that want to be part of us. And um, they have to make that determination on what is the target group that they're going after and what is the market they're going after. Well, there may not be anything officially in writing, Phil, from the OHF or Hockey Canada around what it believes special hockey to be. By supporting CNSH, which does not believe adaptive devices and equipment should be used, aren't you then indirectly supporting that view of special hockey? Uh, my understanding from CNSH talking to them yesterday is that, you know, for the eighteen nineteen season, uh, there was nothing said about adaptive devices and not being able to participate against programs with adaptive devices. That's not the, the concern that related to why the Condors aren't this uh, specific uh, tournament this weekend. The aspect of uh, that is part of what they're discussing and going through. They haven't made a final determination on that, um, and they need to sit down, and we're going to provide them the guidance to do that for the 1920 season and uh, going through that. For the 18-19 season, there's been nothing that's been indicated out from that group that uh, assistive devices uh, aren't allowed on the ice during gameplay and participating in, but they're doing their due diligence to look at the risk analysis of assistive devices um, with players on the ice and uh, the impact of that on special hockey. And that's going to be up to, you know, CNSH and, you know, hopefully the the groups from CAHA who do have an application in to... Uh, CNSH to be a member, to sit down and have those discussions and, and really work through, you know, what is the target of special hockey at, uh, you know, different tiers and different levels and different, uh, um, you know, types of uh, game play that they look to uh, move forward with. This isn't even the first time that there has been issues around special needs hockey. I was tipped off last year when we were up in Peterborough about a woman who was uh, helping run the co-founder of the team up there, the Peterborough Huskies, of their money to run the team, she used a third of it for her family expenses. Excuse you? Yep. A third of the money raised to run the hockey team, a third or more, she said, maybe, she was using for her family expenses, gas, food. So even when it comes to special needs hockey, and I said that it's the red tape, and it's all about that mighty dollar... It seems that even on something that is so good and can be so shine such a bright light on what we do as a community and what hockey can do, there's always something negative. So maybe when there is something negative, you just talk about it. That's not a bad idea, right? Own uh, it, face uh, it, head on. You know who did that? Who did that? Michael DiPietro. That guy, he's a stand-up guy. Isn't he? Well, he's not a stand-up goalie. I mean, he's no, no. Bertie Perrant. But no, he's not. No. Um, but he got, he made his NHL debut the other night. Did you see it by chance? I missed it, no. Uh, I know, I wanted to see it, but I was driving home from the Toronto Raptors game. But uh, if you missed it, here's the Coles notes. 
he got shelled. <laughs> the San Jose Sharks showed no mercy. None. Whipped him. 7-2 was the score. He makes his NHL debut when he was called up on emergency basis from the Ottawa 67s. And I brought this up on our broadcast because I wanted to talk about it there, but I just didn't think it was right. I said, I want to talk about this on our podcast because with all due respect to Michael DiPietro, this makes zero sense to me. None. Yes, you called him up on emergency basis. You, the Vancouver Canucks, I've lived out there. They're, the media out there and the fans out there are a lot like Toronto. They're passionate, but they rip on the team a lot. When It's like it's either Stanley Cup or bust, and it changes by the day. I have no idea how their general manager has done such a god-awful job in looking after his goaltending situation that you have an emergency call-up from the Ontario Hockey League. Michael DiPietro may be one of the best goalies we've ever seen in this league. His stats certainly say so. He has an OHL record shutouts all time. He is not ready for the National Hockey League. You didn't play him against Ottawa. You didn't play him against Detroit. You played him against San Jose, who have been buzzing as of late, are tops in their division, may be the best team in the Western Conference right now. And you play him against the San Jose Sharks? Listen, I know Vancouver's been good this year. They're surprising a lot of people. What are you doing? He's the goaltender of your future. Everyone knows it. He gets traded, which is tough enough for someone. He was in tears at a press conference because he left his hometown. He goes to another town. He's been fighting the puck ever since he went to Ottawa to the point where they're starting Cedric Andre maybe a little more than they would have liked. He goes to the World Juniors before he struggled. Takes it all on heart. You know him. He's a hard-on-the-sleeve type of guy. He stood on his head for his country. They lost. Didn't even medal. Didn't even play in a medal game. He takes that personally. And then you call him up to the NHL, and he gets shelled. Allows a goal on his first shot. Faces 24. Stops 17. Confidence is such a big thing for a goaltender, especially a younger goaltender. Michael DiPietro might be the most confident goaltender I've ever seen. Where do you think his confidence at now? You need to harvest young players, harvest young goaltenders. If I am a father and my son is a goaltender, I am calling Vancouver right now saying, don't even think about drafting him. You guys suck. How do you put a player, the goaltender of your future, in a lose-lose situation? He looked completely lost. Evander Kane's ripping pucks top cheese over him, and Michael didn't even see the puck come off the stick. He's not ready, nor is any other goaltender in the Ontario Hockey League right now, nor is any other goaltender at his age. Connor Hart went to, Carter Hart of Philly, lost his first 10 starts in the American League. He played a quarter, half a season in the American League. It's a huge transition. The Vancouver Canucks dropped the ball so hard right here and might have permanently wrecked one of their greatest drafts of all time. That's what I was wondering. If And it's obviously, the jury will be out on that, but Clearly, you have concern that this could be career-altering for Michael DiPietro. Because he's going to have to now come back to the OHL and find his mojo again. And Ottawa is certainly hoping that he does. He's going to need to. And he handled it like such a pro. 
Like such a pro. Made me even, and I have no problem saying I'm a huge Di Pietro fanboy. I say it all the time. But he handled it like such a pro afterwards. Media asked me, goes, you know what? It's not the result I wanted. Still a, a huge point of my life. Uh, like I loved it, you know, making my NHL debut. But some adversity, adversity has been thrown my way, and I'll have to react to it. That's what he said. But if you're, t- come on, if I was in his shoes, the minute, the minute I am alone, I am in a ball of tears. Like, I hope he was around family and friends that night. I really do. Because at that point, you were at the low of lows. I'm sure he was. They would have been out there for that debut. And, like, just hang out with him for the next six months. Tell him how good-looking he is. Tell him how great his butterfly is. Like, they should send him out to practice where he's playing 12-year-olds. Get his confidence back up. Because, my goodness, what a mishandle of a special, special goaltender. That is an embarrassment for the Vancouver Canucks. An embarrassment. Did the Vancouver Canucks just pave the way for the London Knights to win the entire OHL? Oh, conspiracy! Do you know who's the most happy about this? Jason Robertson and the Niagara Ice Dogs. Because they're like, please start them. Please. You get one goal on them early on your first shot, guess what's going to come up in his mind? Flashbacks of Evander Kane and Joe Pavelski. What a joke. I'm so, I, like, that just bothers me to the core. Well, and you know, it's, uh, it's only loosely relatable because I don't want to give anybody the impression that John Murray, late of the Kitchener Rangers, going back more than a decade, this was the uh, 06 season in Kitchener. I don't want to give anybody the impression that I'm trying to say here that John Murray was Michael DiPietro before Michael DiPietro came along. But what I will tell you is that John Murray was lights out for the Kitchener Rangers. He was so good in the first half of the season that then general manager Pete DeBoer thought, huh, we got ourselves a chance. We're going to go add at the trade deadline, this, that, and the other thing. And that was also back when the Ontario Hockey League had a little thing called the All-Star Game. They were still doing the All-Star Game as opposed to top prospects. John Murray goes to the All-Star Game, and he got lit up. And I'm telling you, I was covering the team at the time, I was around every game, and John Murray was never the same again. Never. Never the same again, to the point where he had to get pulled in the playoffs in the first round because he was letting in goals that were dump-ins from center ice. He had, he had the yips. He had the yips. I've been there, trust me. I, on my best day, I wasn't a eighth of the goaltender John Murray was and I couldn't even lace up Michael DiPietro's pads but I still get the shakes when I walk in to the Allman Arena in Stratford because they shelled me every time and I hate that place they must have loved you eh oh, oh Popers coming in automatic win night <laughs> like automatic pad the stats night I was beat before I even went to Stratford I don't even like going there for work it I just I can't believe that an NHL franchise and Jim Benning and whoever else is there now allowed that to happen. And I can't help but think that if Trevor Linden didn't have a disagreement with the Aquilinis, the owner out there, about their projection and where they were going, that this doesn't happen. Because I think Trevor Linden would have enough brains to say, maybe we should go another route, trade for an American Hockey League goaltender, trade an eighth-round pick. They just made a trade to bring in a backup out of Nashville. But come on, you do not put, like, call him up and have him back up. Sure, what an experience for Michael DiPietro. Nice little pick-me-up. Hey, we're really excited to have you here. Back up, practice, sure. To play him in a game, I am just against the top team. 
Oh, what are you like? You're just there's no win. There's no win. Well, it, it blows my mind. And I think the theme of this podcast is what are people thinking? <laughs> like, I don't understand the thought process of some people. We are uh, headed through the nation's capital on our upcoming roadie with the Kitchener Rangers on the family day weekend. And this is something that we'll keep our eye on as Michael DiPietro makes his way through the rest of this OHL season with the Ottawa 67s. It'll be interesting. And you and I were talking just before we started uh, recording today. And and there's something else we're going to be keeping our eye on. little nugget for you as we head into playoff time and look ahead to the Memorial Cup and you might be surprised at the disparity we're seeing in terms of the league that tends to win more often than the others, or perhaps the league that wins the least. And why might that be? We're going to do some investigating and, and bring you that story as we move on. Some real journalism instead of just sitting in a radio studio rhyming off about things we don't like. No. How about the 67s, though? 40 wins in 54 games right now. That's not bad. It's not bad. Maybe the Rangers will hope that Michael DiPietro starts. When was the last time you said that? <laughs> hey, Holy. you know, listen, when Michael DiPietro was still with the Windsor Spitfires, the Rangers did all right against him. That's very true. Yeah. He, for whatever reason, yeah. it was almost an automatic four goals for whatever reason when That's the Rangers true. played the Spits. His save percentage is under 900 in Ottawa. 7-2, and two, but under 900. And you brought him up to the National Hockey League. <sighs> I... Oh, boy. It's going to be a fun trip, though. Yeah, it is. I'm excited. We're going to see our buddy Adam Haga, I'm sure, in Ottawa. Oh, sure. I'm sure he's a regular listener. Who's buddy? My buddy. Yeah, your buddy. I like him. He he has no time. No, I love the kid. He's lost like 30 pounds, eh? Really? Yeah. We get to see Jimmy Gilchrist in Kingston, too? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the Leon Center, Tragically Hip Way. I'm excited for that. Absolutely. And uh, they have a really good coffee spot there. I walked to the game last year, and I grabbed a really nice coffee. I'm excited for that. So what I'm trying to do whenever we're on the road, if I can walk to the game, pick up a coffee especially now that the winter weather you know, will start to tail off. Oh, yeah, right. Maybe. <laughs> Has it stopped snowing I was yet? Say, maybe, we will, maybe we'll get trapped in Kingston. Won't that be fun? I think we'll have to shovel out when we're done this podcast. Where else would you rather spend your family day than around your hockey family? There you go. I'm Farwell. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh, I'm right, Farwell. Right. You're Pope. And this is the Farwell and Pope podcast. <laughs> this has been the Farwell and Pope podcast, posted weekly. If you have questions, topics, or a story you would like to be covered, simply email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.